0: Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borelessa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology, and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals, and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, But I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode.
1: A layoff, like any other transition, is the perfect opportunity to sort of recalibrate. You know, when we have different opinions, I think it elevates the, you know, what the team is able to deliver because, you know, you're kind of seeing different sides of things. It's not just like you mourn it and then you're done. Like there are days, even when you feel like you're done with the morning that you like, you think you had a really good interview and then you get like, sorry, we're going to move on with someone else.
0: Welcome to episode 60 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Hardy Mendez. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the podcast, especially in the U.S., which is the second largest audience and we have been downloaded in all states apart from Alaska, Kansas, Maine, Montana, and New Mexico.
1: I do have some people in Kansas. I live there for six months.
0: Cool. So please do connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of the content. Do subscribe, like, and share. It does make such a difference. Now back to the show. It is my pleasure to welcome Hardy to the show. Hello. So Hardy, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: I'm Hari. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I identify as a Latina and a woman of color. I am based in Brooklyn, New York, where I also was born and raised. Uh, I've lived in other places. So Kansas was one of them very, for a very short time, about six months. But I've lived in, in other, a couple other states here in the U.S. And I also actually lived overseas in South America for two years in a place called Cochabamba in Bolivia. I'm a Latina in tech. I have over 25 years of experience at the intersection of tech and financial services. I've spent some time in nonprofit. My most recent job was head of equality at Slack, a company your your audience probably is familiar with. Yeah. And I'm currently um, the CEO of a small business called Boldly Speaking. I actually do speaking engagements on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm also looking for work, so maybe somebody in your audience wants to give me a
0: job. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and I suppose part part of the reason uh, we we sort of came across each other was um, I saw that post you did after you were let go, and I thought it was really nice the way you framed it. Um, rather than sort of you know some people get get angry about being laid off, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. I think you did it in a very classy way. But I th- we'll pick that up later in 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 the podcast. Yeah. But what, what I'd like to st- always start off with, Adi, is uh, I'm a big fan of the arts. Is there a performer, song, book, or film which you'd like to share with us?
1: I will have to say that Flaming Hot is uh is the the show. It's it's a movie actually, and it's Eva Longoria. For those people who know, um, I believe she was uh, one of her big shows was Desperate Housewives. Yeah. It it is her directorial debut, um, and I don't know. Do you know what the the movie's about? or should i should i just tell no, you no, yeah, d- dive,
0: dive in yeah it's uh sure.
1: it's, it's so it features mostly a mostly latino uh cast which is rare needless to say and it tells the story of this employee who went from being a janitor to being the godfather of hispanic marketing and he uh he invented uh cheetos that product uh, for the hispanic community and you know, it's like a was a huge success. And then he went on to like get promoted and he was like a big senior leader. I, I think it's PepsiCo. I don't really know who made Cheetos. I want to say it's Pepsi, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, um, it's a great movie. It's a it's a feel-good movie, and it was just really well done. It's, you know, it's not often that we see uh so many multi-dimensional Latinos on the big screen. Like usually it's like it's a Mexican and they're cleaning, you know, the floor or something, you know, it's like we have like standard roles. And this was like very diverse. And there were, you know, people playing lots of different roles. And um, he had a really like powerful wife, which you know, that she was, you know, part of the, the the movie showed her how she really supported him. And it was just, you know, really well done. So anyway, I'm very proud of it as a Latina.
0: With Eva Longoria she was an actress and so now she's become a, a director and I think if you can take control of the arc of your career not let it happen to you but be on the front foot because I think sometimes many people think oh I'll wait for that opportunity to come along or I'll wait for that job but actually if you're leading um, your career and building it yourself that's very powerful but also I like the idea of representation because I think if you don't see people like yourself, then uh if you're from a, a minority background or a marginalized community, then you feel that you can't aspire to those roles. Um so I just I think there are so many interesting points um coming out of that. So yeah, no doubt yep.
1: that. Yeah, and, and there's like a little write up. I, I saw it somewhere where um I, I don't think they were targeting her to be the director. And apparently she went in with all the notes and she, like, it was like, you know, she took, like, really took advantage of the meeting time. Like she, um, I think her agent, like, was like, hey, Eva's kind of interested in the project. And she showed up with, like, all these notes and, like, demonstrated that she really could add value to the project and and she got the job. So, like, that's also, like goals you know for her to like make like a hey I move like that to just show up and like get like she took the job like she was like I'm this is the job that I, I'm ready for this and and I'm prepared for it and here's all the value that I can add and for me just to see her do something like that where she is the stage she is in her career it's like it's really inspiring.
0: Yeah, and I think the point you make about preparation is so important because um, the people she was going to see, they may or may not have had or been thinking about her. But I do think if you are, um, say, a hiring manager or somebody who's trying to give somebody a chance, like an investor in a company, um, you may have ideas about what you want. But if you can get somebody coming along who's actually done the research, done the project, almost reframed the whole problem. That's incredibly compelling and incredibly powerful. Um, and it's that whole idea, I think, of, of preparation, really doing a deep dive, getting your hands dirty, and then almost presenting something to um, your interviewer or the investor and saying, look, maybe this is a way of doing things. I mean, wh- what do you think, Harley?
1: Oh, uh, totally. Like I, like literally, she is inspiring me to approach like my interview process in a different way because I think it was like, she got a courtesy meeting and she ended up with the job and, you know, how many times we get a referral from somebody and, you know, we can't just rest in our laurels and be like, oh, we got, we, you know, we're going to get in there. So now we just show up and, you know, things are just going to organically or naturally happen. Like you still have to put in the work and you have to show and demonstrate how committed and invested you are. So, Everything about that story is goals. Like, I'm I'm really impressed by it. And I'm happy for her. You know, she's hopefully going to use her platform to continue to amplify Latino voices in other projects moving forward. So she's very worthy of it. She demonstrated that she was worthy of the role that she got in this project. So I'm really happy for her, too.
0: And, and another thing that has struck me is that say you do go for a meeting, um, and it could be just like an informational thing or a casual meeting. If you can come up with a compelling story and you can come across in in a very sort of charismatic, charismatic, likeable way, then even if that person doesn't have a job for you, they will probably recommend you to somebody else or they will give you their endorsement you never know when that opportunity is going to come up. uh, Yeah. And one really funny story was that I was at this event and I was waiting to get my uh, food served. And there was this lady behind me in the line. So I said, you know, uh, here, take my spot, have my plate. And you know, she served herself first. And then I got chatting to her. And then I found out her husband was like this big cheese in a like a, a really serious company. And yeah, you know, n- nothing happened after that. And I did get to meet the husband. But it does show that you never know. I
1: think you have to seize the opportunities that you get.
0: Yeah, and you have to give up
1: a, a, 100% or 110% to every opportunity that you are afforded. And that's what I uh, learned from from, you know, reading about what Eva did in this case. And, you know, but but I feel like that's that's how people demonstrate their value. Like, you know, it's not always obvious. And as especially as a woman and a Latina, I'm probably not who people are thinking about when they're thinking about their next director of DEI or their next director of strategic relationships or their next chief of this or VP of that. And so it's a lesson. It's a it's a valuable lesson learned there to really show up, put, you know, put your best put foot forward and um just reach for the stars. Like put it all, put it all out there, like shoot your shot.
0: But 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 one other interesting thing I think that comes from that is that you know you can almost create how people view you. So say with your personal brand, you can put out good content, you could put out video content, you can appear on podcasts
1: my experience in the 6 months that i've been looking for work i think i had a, a a um a point of view that these interviewers and these potential employers were all getting to know me online and i have discovered that that is not true i don't think they spend as much time learning about my online <laughs> brand as i thought they did i think a lot of people do i think lot, uh, lots of peers and you know I, I can't tell you how many events I go to where people are like, you're hottie. Like, I know you're from LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, hi. Like, you know, it's a little, sometimes a little like disarming. Like, you're like, okay, I, I don't know you, but like, okay, it's, I'm glad you know me. And usually, obviously, you know, I go on and like make, make a new friend type thing. And it, it is, I think, a little bit of a misconception or a myth <laughs> to think that everybody knows everything about you, you know, from an, like an employer interviewer perspective. Yeah when you enter into that conversation, oftentimes I find that they don't know a lot about me and I have to kind of make sure that they get to know me and I can't like rely on, on, on them, you know, on them having, you know, done the quote unquote, done the research. Like I think the burden hmm. fo- falls more on my side to really get to know them and come prepared to ask questions and make sure that I'm, I'm putting my best foot forward for them to get to know like, you know, me and what differentiates me from other candidates, etc.
0: I totally agree with that. But I suppose the point I was making was that just in terms of, I suppose, uh, building your brand and getting your brand out there. um, It is important to, I suppose, uh, be on social media, sharing interesting posts, trying to create some content, because at least, you know, if you don't do anything, then nobody knows about you. But at least if you're out there putting out good stuff, then at least that's, I suppose, the impression that people are getting about you. And clearly, look, interviewers and research, they can't do every bit of research about you. So clearly you need to be able to go in and sort of hit the ground running and say, hi, this is me. This is what I can do for you. This is the value I can bring. But I suppose there's also the element of just um, being top of mind um, with your network or, or whatever it is.
1: I think so. I think there's a lot of value there. I think people have different reasons for putting content out there. As I reflect on the reasons why I do it, there were, there were some reasons, some very strategic reasons why I did it at first, um, which I could talk to you about now or talk to you about later, but there were strategic reasons why I did it to begin with. But now I feel like there's a lot of people who have shared with me that my content, um, has helped them or is valuable to them or they look forward to it. And so, you know, now it's like kind of fun for me to come up with. Um new content or new ways to add value to the people in my network so it's it's like a fun little thing, and I think it's good. it keeps me challenged like it's like i just don 't do my day job, I have like other things there's a cool podcast and i uh I forget where I heard it from it might have it might be on um hello monday it 's okay. a LinkedIn podcast by Jesse Hempel, and I believe it was there where I heard that people have like you know, the average person has somewhere like between five and seven jobs. One is like your main job, and then you mm-hmm. might have like these little side hustles. And I think like creating content is like one of my little side hustles. Obviously, I don't get paid at all for it, but like <laughs> it's something that I take seriously and I'm trying to be strategic about. And it's fun. I think it keeps me some of my skill sets, you know, fresh. You know, like it, it has allowed me to build a skill set that you know, I don't have to that there's no obligation to do it. A lot of my peers don't do it. But like, it separates me from other people. And it's something that I could talk about and make reference to.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, and, and actually, it would be good to pick that up sort of later on. Um, but, but actually, uh, we, uh, we've got slightly sidetracked because I had this list of questions, and I was going to okay. t- uh, uh, <laughs> ask you about the beginning because it, it's funny. I've actually been to um, Brooklyn, and I was asking whether you were from Fort, Fort Green, and I think that's where you grew up. Is that right, Hardy, or you're around there, near there? So
1: I was born in Fort Green. Mm-hmm. I lived here for the first three years of my life. Then I moved to like a different part of Brooklyn. I am mostly Brooklyn uh, bred. So like this is where I was raised in Brooklyn. And then I moved to Queens, which is another borough in New York. And I've lived in Manhattan. I've lived in the Bronx. But actually, I live in Fort Greene again right now since the year 2019. I'm about like five blocks from where I was born. The hospital is no longer there. But the park is still here. And the neighborhood has definitely evolved and changed since, since I lived here back in the late 70s. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's it's cool to come back full circle. Fort Greene is a really nice, fun neighborhood. And Spike Lee is, like, yeah. from Fort Greene, too. So, it's like, he made it famous. And, uh, and you know, yeah, and I, I guess, you know, there's other people that are from here, too.
0: And it isn't Chris Rock? Did, did Is he from Bed-Stuy or from Fort Greene? Or... Oh, I, I don't know.
1: But okay. Bed-Stuy's right near us. So, uh, possibly, he could be from around the way, so to speak. There's a lot of people that, like, either live here or are from here or like claim, you know, uh, everybody wants to claim Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> very good. Um, but I, I was watching one of your interviews, previous interviews, and I I love the role that your mother played in your interest in tech. Can you share the story with our listeners?
1: Yeah. I, first I want to say that I'm very impressed <laughs> that you found this in one of my videos. Cause I know I only t- have talked about it once. And I remember it was like a video we did for, I think like interns when I worked at Cloudflare or something like that. I don't really remember, but yeah, it's a funny story. So to back up just a little bit, I know um, probably most of your viewers or a lot of your viewers are from the UK. So in New York City, and I'm not even going to say it's all the US, but in New York City where I live and where I was raised, you can pick an area of specialization or what like people would call a major when you go to high school. And I know that that's not like a thing everywhere, but that is definitely a thing here. And so when I was in junior high school, getting ready for high school, I had to kind of pick a major or I had to pick a school and a major and like kind of figure out like what my next steps were. So you could pick like a math and science school or a business school or whatever. And so my mom, who never went to college, never had a professional job outside of the home, she suggested, this was like in the 80s. That I study computer slash technology because, and I'm going to quote now, because that seems to be where the future is going. <laughs> my goodness, she she nailed it. So uh, lucky for me, I had a natural bent for tech, so uh, I have been able to survive in the industry. But it is pretty funny and cool that that's what that it was my mom who picked my major going into high school, and then I ended up like. It was like very early on in tech, so like I actually did punch cards when I was in high school, oh, wow. uh, which is like very old school technology. And I learned COBOL, which is like one of the first programming languages that's also very ancient. And um, and then I studied computer information systems in college, and yeah, got my first job as a as a technology consultant consultant with Accenture.
0: Cool. So um, shout out to your mom; uh, she's obviously a yeah. futurist. And shout out to all the mothers out there as well. Got to listen to your mom. <laughs>
1: That's right. Listen to your mom. They know what's up.
0: <laughs> Very good. Um. So after college, I, I saw you started off at Accenture and then moved into finance. So was this a strategic thing or did your career just evolve?
1: Yeah. So I would say I, I did start off at Accenture. I spent about three years there. And then I moved on to another um, company that was focused on benefits consulting. Um, and I was like more doing like just application development. Like I was a programmer, essentially. And then my next job after that was with J.P. Morgan Chase, and I worked there for about seven years. I was part of the Chase Home Finance area, which uh, was focused like on mortgages and home equities. And I would say definitely that this was purely by accident. Um, I was following the tech opportunities, which were, you know, as they are today, and always have been, and probably always will be uh, abundant. <laughs> In the part of the U.S. where I live, which is New York City, um, it makes sense that that would have led me to financial services because we are like a pretty big financial services hub and, you know, financial services um, and tech really go hand in hand.
0: Most recently, you were the head of equality at Slack. Uh, Obviously, it's a great firm and that sounds like a really exciting role. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So I actually was the head of equality at Slack after or post-acquisition. So Salesforce acquired Slack, and then I was responsible for like the harmonization efforts, bringing together the two companies from a DEI perspective. And it was exciting. it It was exciting to be able to... I was very familiar with all of the offerings that the Salesforce Office of Equality had, and I was responsible for like just, you know, introducing my Slack colleagues to all of those offerings, so like mentoring programs, sponsorship stuff, ERG things, like recruiting, DEI recruiting, just like there was like so many initiatives underway. And I would say one of the biggest things that I focused on was harmonizing our quality efforts from an ERG perspective. So Salesforce had equality groups, Slack had ERGs. We kind of really had to bring these two kind of efforts together because they were really kind of duplicative in nature. They're very similar in that, you know, what they were doing.
0: Sorry, Hadi for, for our listeners who aren't sure what an ERG is, can you Oh it's an employee
1: that? Yeah, they're employee resource groups um or business resource groups. Uh the, you know, sometimes they're called DRGs. Um, and they're really like employee clubs. That's what I like to call them. Like it's just like for like it's like for the ERG for dummies. They're just clubs. And usually they're clubs that are based on like a common characteristic. So like I've been part of the Latinx ERGs. So all the Latinos get together and we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month and we, you know, do like development for our colleagues. And we talk about things that maybe are unique or different for like Latinx employees. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's some for veterans, for LGBTQ plus folks, for black, um, uh, South Asian and, and, you know, uh, uh, people with disabilities. And so there's just lots of ERGs for lots of different uh, types of people, but. But really, they're clubs. And I spent a lot of time getting to know the ERG leaders at Slack because the goal, like I said, was to really bring um, the two groups together. And ultimately, I hosted an ERG offsite. Salesforce has a ranch in, uh, oh. in California. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful ranch. We spent like three or four days there together. And we basically discussed like, the work that we were all doing, the challenges we encountered, the opportunities we had in front of us, and really how we could partner in our efforts. So that I was really proud of bringing the folks together for that. And we ended up having work groups after that, and getting laid off. So I didn't get to see like the full yeah. fruit of my labor, but ultimately the goal was really for you know these groups to come together.
0: Yeah, and and so obviously we'll go into the layoff, but I think it's very important in any organization to get. You know, the, the you know, people coming together, um, and recognizing there are differences. There are cultural differences which need to be, um, I, I think people need to be sympathetic to those. But I, but I do think the big thing with the you know, equity and inclusion is that I, I don't think people are asking for any sort of favors. It's simply they want to be managed and, and led in a sympathetic and, uh, nice way like everybody else. Um, I mean, what, what do you think, uh, Hadi?
1: Yes. And I would also add, they want to be seen. They want to be heard. Yeah. They want to have a voice at the table. They they want to be included. They want to feel like they belong. Yeah. They want to feel like they're really invited to be part of the conversation, to have input into the decision making process. They want to feel safe. They want to know that they can disagree in a yeah. in a manner that will still be you know, they're still be welcome, yeah. even if they don't feel the same way, like it, it's okay to feel a little bit differently. You're still part of the team, regardless of how you feel. Yeah. Like, you know, when we have different opinions, it I think it elevates the, you know, what the team is able to deliver because, you know, you're kind of seeing different sides of things. I think ERGs and, and underrepresented people really, yeah, what they want is to be seen, heard, feel included uh, and then you know get opportunity the same opportunities everybody else has to advance to be to be acknowledged and recognized for their work to get special projects to get a leadership role to lead a team and to you know yeah like ultimately be part of the c suite and have be able to make a real impact
0: what i always find strange you know with some some companies is that you need to have different voices in the room you need to have different uh, opinions because if everybody's um agreeing with uh, the boss whether it's a man or a woman then clearly you're only having one perspective. And now the world is filled with different perspectives. And it's not only bad for the it's it's bad for the company from a bottom line. You know, you're not you're not being able to generate the revenues. You're not going to be able to deal with your customers. And I think going forward all you know, people and companies have to be much more agile, being able to pivot, being able to reinvent themselves. So I think with you know, DEI, it's not just a fairness thing, which is obviously very important, but actually it's an economic thing. Um, I mean, what, what do you think, Hadi?
1: Um, I think research uh, shows time and time again that when teams are are made up of a you know diverse set of people. Yeah. They're more innovative. Um, they, you know, there, there's more uh, like products are better, you know, um, they, they find like mistakes or gaps yeah. in, in products that much sooner because people are like, Oh, well, what about this? Oh, I didn't think of that. Like, oh, you know, I think there's an example of a, of a see through staircase and, like you could see underneath, like yeah, if a woman yeah, is exactly. wearing a dress. Yes, or yes. A skirt, you could see underneath it. And it's like, yeah. well, who the ha- <laughs> obviously there was not a woman at that, yeah. you know, during the building of that <laughs> staircase, because like somebody would have, a woman yeah. would have like pointed that out in a, in a hot minute. And it's just an example of, you know, when you don't include everybody, you are going to have blind spots. And there's some leaders that, like being surrounded by people who say, yes, 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 you're right. Everything you said plus one, that's not reality. I don't know. That's not real life. Like it's a feel that feels very fake and performative. I like an environment where I, I mentioned it before, like where you are safe to disagree and have a different point of view and share it. And it doesn't mean like, I, I often find that I have a different point of view and I just appreciate the opportunity to share it. I'm not looking for people to be like, oh, what Hadi said, it's you know such a good idea. Like maybe sometimes it's, I have a better idea, but probably not all the time. But like, I still appreciate being part of teams where I can share that and just maybe get people to think a little bit differently. Think about all the times where someone says something and you're like, oh, I just thought of something even better. But like, you need people saying yeah. different things so you could even think of something better and where people are just, Having that group think that 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 doesn't lead to a lot of innovation,
0: And no, I, I completely agree and I ha- hated at meetings when say the leader starts off by saying, this is my view because clearly you're not going to disagree with him otherwise that's a a career limiting move and, or her, but like yeah, sorry, I, I yeah of course yeah <laughs> but but usually how you, it's the men who are the ones who yeah, are, it usually
1: yeah i yes. I feel you and yeah that that's that doesn't sound like a leader who's creating space for a different perspective that sounds like a leader who's kind of like through the gauntlet and said okay you know like I challenge anybody to say something different and you know you got to be pretty brave and bold to try and like do something like that and sometimes you have to be and you need you know you need all kinds of people on the teams and oftentimes I like being the brave and bold one but you know that's a lot of responsibility too.
0: I oh, don't no, no, totally agree. Going back to obviously Slack and then uh, unfortunately uh, you, you got let go, but it was actually on your two year anniversary. Uh, so you were sort of getting prepared to celebrate it and yeah. all that stuff. And then you had to rethink your posts. Um, and, you know, I think being laid off for, at any time is, is hard, but especially if it's coming like that, when you're thinking, oh, wow, I've had two years, this has been great. And then you get that um, information. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about that and how you dealt with the shock?
1: Yeah, I remember I had um, last year, yeah, that seems like so long ago, but it was just last summer. I went to Hawaii for um, what they call a Lima. It's like a day where, or or not a day, but like a couple of days where senior leaders come together to kind of like reflect on how the year has been going so far and then like make any adjustments and tweaks for the rest of the year. And so I, I had a picture from LaLima that I was going to share on my on my uh, two year uh, anniversary. Yeah. But anyway, it was a sad day—the day I found out that I was getting laid off. Uh, I knew there was a possibility because there was a lot of rumblings, not only where I was where I worked, but at other companies that layoffs were coming, and you know it, it, everybody was like there was already news in other places that that other people had already other tech companies, tech firms, had laid people off. So we knew there was that probability or that chance, but. I don't think it's the type of thing you're ever fully prepared for until it's like you get the email and you're like, did I just read that right? Did it really say like my job is being eliminated? So but I would say like it's been six months since I found out and I've been through so much uh, just kind of to give you a sense. I've been on a wellness retreat, um, which I did in Puerto Rico, which uh, that was like a, a really good choice for me. And, um, and I ended up spending like a month in Puerto Rico with my family. So it was just lovely. I launched a, a business during that time. I attended a women's leadership conference in Phoenix. I, um, participated in a lot of customer events for Women's History Month through my small business. I attended a Latinas in tech conference in the Bay Area. I, um, per- I was part of a LinkedIn learning course. So now I'm like famous for being like this. Uh, laid off person. And I actually talked about, you know, kind of how to survive a, a, a layoff uh, for a LinkedIn learning course. So I have like my 15 minutes of fame. I think it's like a little less than 15 minutes, but that's cool. I wrote an article for an organization called Real Girl Grow Latina, which has like thousands and thousands of members. And very soon I'm going to be speaking at a lean in Latina conference, uh, not a conference, but like a, a one day summit in the Bay Area. So that's happening next Ooh. month, which I'm very excited about. And, um, and I have some current job opportunities that I'm being considered for, finally, which I am very excited about, too.
0: Oh, well, good luck. Let's keep our fingers crossed. But one thing I, I just wanted to touch on was this whole idea of the mental side of layoff. As you're saying, even if you know it's going to happen, it's a really tough thing when the email comes through or you get that news. Because I think it's that finality, isn't it, that, you know, that job that you had or the you know, your title. Um, you know, for some people, they're you know, really attached to the the role. It's a huge blow to your ego. So maybe can you just talk a little bit about the you know, the process of moving on? Because it's like grief. It's almost like a, a death or something like that, that it's a huge loss. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about that, Harley? Because I think for our listeners, that would be really helpful.
1: One of the things you said is important—that whole ego thing. I think two things. It's like some people are very attached to their title. I think I think I might have been one of those people, but I I was able to detach pretty quickly. But what I felt was I was embarrassed. Like it's just like, oh my god, like how how is this happening? Like why me? And I think um, you know there were a lot of people I know that got laid off that never chose to share it at all. Like no one knows they were laid off. I mean, no one knows like. Outside of, I don't know, people in their immediate team or something. But like, other than that, they didn't share it with their network. And I also had to think about how I wanted to show up in that regard. I didn't, I didn't like post the same day, I probably waited a couple days. And then I finally decided like, yeah, this is going to be something that I'm going to be open and transparent about because that's very much in line with how i am i'm pride myself in being very genuine real how am i going to be real and authentic and genuine and not share like this humongous thing that just happened to me it started off with just being true to my brand but it quickly became like how can you navigate this and still feel okay about yourself like this is not a reflection of you this is not I know, like factually speaking, that there was a lot of other good people, uh, amazing people that got laid off. And I'm like, well, that that consolation that I'm like, okay, it's not in my head that I thought I was a good employee. And I'm like, it's not in my head then that it also happened to other really good employees. So, so yes, I think like once I, I was realized that it wasn't necessarily about my performance and it wasn't a reflection of me and this was happening to a lot, so many people then I kind of could just be like, okay, well, what's the best way to deal with this? I, I know I needed to do like kind of a little reset. So I, I did, I made, that was a choice I, I very intentionally made to just be like, I need to kind of get well and get my head on straight and kind of like hit that reset button so that I can approach my, my next step and my job search from a, like a healthy, good place. You know, I think everybody has to decide for themselves, like, what is the mourning period? And, and also be um, honest about like, it's not just like you mourn it, and then you're done. Like there are days, even when you feel like you're done with the morning, that you like, you think you had a really good interview, and then you get like, sorry, we're gonna move on with someone else, or you never hear back, or the jobs on hold, or with an internal candidate, or, you know, like a variety of things, or, you know, maybe you see like a lot, like I've started to see a lot of the people that got laid off at the same time as me get new jobs. And I'm like, oh my God, like how come I'm not getting it?" And I'm like, it's okay, hottie. You're going to get your job when it's your time to get your job. And if ever there was a time for you to be like, I'm going to focus on my own journey and I'm not worrying about other people. This is the time to do it because everybody's layoff journey is bound to be very different. And you just cannot allow yourself to be drawn in to some of these other things that are happening around you, it's just not fair and not good.
0: There's so many great points you're making there, Adi. I think one that this whole point about showing up because. I I, you know, I really admire the way you're always on LinkedIn, not always, but you know, you're posting regularly and people know about what's going on. You're being quite transparent. And for some people they would be thinking, well, do I really want to do that? But I think it's better to be you know out front and yeah, you know, trying to add value and say, look, have you seen this article or you know, maybe these are things, some things that I can help. Uh, with you with but also like this idea of not focusing on your own journey because everybody's race is different you don't know you know they could say they've got this job but is it really as good as you think is the pay is you just don't know um and and everybody has to make that decision for themselves what are they willing to accept But I do think if you can um, yeah, focus on yourself um, as you're doing, think about self-care, all these things, it's so important. And then when the right job, um, you know, there's a sort of serendipity about it, the stars will align and things will work out.
1: I do think that a layoff, like any other transition, is the perfect opportunity to sort of recalibrate. And in my case, it was an opportunity to ensure that my next role was aligned with my mission and my values and I had to like kind of rethink and make sure like what what are my mission what is my mission and what are my values I've learned a couple things during my layoff so I'll I'm happy to share them with you and with others because you know they okay. might be helpful like for other I think other people should like things should come up for other people during this time so one of the things I discovered is I want to work for a smaller company the, you know um, Salesforce had 80,000 employees they, they now have less than that because of they had layoffs but but still you know, I'll never say never, but, but I'm not, I, I'm kind of looking forward to working for a company that's smaller, you know, maybe 10,000 people, something like that. Like I'm, I, I, it's like, you know, everybody has a preference for like university it's like, you yeah. want to go to a university that has 50,000 people or one that has 3,500 people. I went to a school that was 3,500 people. So I, I think like, I like the more, I like a, a, more, uh, intimate closer relationships. That's what I prefer. And so So that's, that's one thing I like discovered about myself, that that's what I would like from my next position is something a little smaller. And I want to make a big impact. I've discovered, I want like a juicy role with a lot of responsibility. Like I don't mind having the spotlight and, but, but like, and being able to really, you know, um, have, be empowered to, to do great work. And then I also have for sure, discovered that my health and wellness is extremely important. And that whatever role I take on next, it's important for me to know that, you know, I'll still have time to prepare my own meals, because that's something that I'm doing a lot of now. And that's been really helpful. And I've been going for long walks. And like, you know, I still want the ability to do that. I don't want to just go back into the grind into that little hamster wheel, I want to like preserve some of these good habits and i want to continue to have self care as a priority that you know uh, it's a goal like that's always a goal sometimes i i i achieved it more than others but i'm definitely in a good place with it right now and i i'm very mindful that whatever role i take on next i need to have space to continue to make to keep that a, a priority self care that is
0: i love that and i think it's it's very important you know whatever role you're taking on that you're happy in, in in the organization that you can see uh, how you're having an impact because I think sometimes in these very large organizations um so I worked at EYPWC at, at a bank and you sometimes feel wow you're just you know a small part of this huge organization yeah. how much of an impact yeah. am I really uh, having um but yeah. obviously you're, you're getting paid and but, that sort of stuff but yeah. yeah and it's nice
1: to be close to strategy and like like having regular conversations with like a CEO or a senior leadership team, like when you're a part of a big organization, that's so much harder to come by. Yeah, and I want to be like right in the thick of things. That's my desire is to really ultimately be part of the c-suite and be a key decision maker. So I want to be really close to that or as close to that as I can be,
0: just in terms of the practical things that you've been doing. can you share with our listeners what things you've been doing to? get in contact with people, uh, look for opportunities. Are there any practical things you can share with our listeners about your process for finding uh, a new job?
1: I don't think it's that much different than anyone else. I'm on LinkedIn for the most part. That's where I get a lot of my alerts or, you know, I'll see posts that people have or lots of times there's a, there's a lot of people I'm like, when this is all said and done, I'm going to have to buy a lot of people dinner because all the time. I have one particular friend. Her name is Pam. Shout out to Pam. She literally sends me like job opportunities, like almost every other day. And I'm actually in the middle of an interview process with a company that she was like, you should apply for this job. And I'm like, oh yeah, I should. So she's been great. She's been like my, my, uh, job hunter assistant in this process, or I would say partner in crime is probably the better word, but yeah, there's been a couple, she's not the only one. There's been several people, people, about honest with you, that I don't even know. Like, I, oh, I don't know well. And they're like, I-, I thought of you, here's this job. As long as it has DEI, people send it to me. So that's been so kind and generous. Uh, I've had people actually serve as references or refer me, like literally through a company process for a job. You know, occasionally had people be like, you should look at this company Or like, you know, there's not a job opening per se, but they're like, I think you'd like this company. If you're thinking of this, what have you looked into that? And so they'll make some suggestions for me. Yeah. So I, and, and I also feel like not everything has to be about looking for a job. Sometimes I'm just going to an event to just learn and be around people that are like me. Like yesterday I was at an event for this Hispanic technology organization. And, you know, I just saw some people that I know and reconnected with people. And I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna get a job from being there, but like I just reconnected with people and like stayed, you know, there was conversations around AI that were really interesting. There was also another conversation around investing in Hispanic um, like entrepreneurs and which I thought was also very interesting. So it's just like new content, interesting conversations. Uh, I go to a lot of technology conferences. Sometimes I'm speaking, sometimes I'm not. But I just like, I just like being in the circle with people. And those, to me, I consider that like planting seeds. And I don't know when I'm gonna see like return on investment or like see the fruit of my labor. But like, it doesn't always have to be all about that because that's a lot of pressure and stress yeah. for me. And and I don't want to feel that way. I just want to feel like I'm organically just running in the circles that I need to be running in. And eventually I'm going to come across the thing that's meant for me. So I try to like not put undue pressure to just be like, job, 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 job. Like, it's just like, it's okay, Hadi. Like just for now, enjoy the space you're in, learn, you know, collaborate, talk to people, create some connections and and that's good enough.
0: No, and I, and I think that that's a really important point you're making is that, look, every time you go to an event or every time you meet somebody, it's all, all about, you know, can I get something out of this person? Can they get me a job? Just, yeah, reduce your expectations. Let's just have a nice conversation. And I exactly. do think, and, and I do think, look, if people um are, have emotional intelligence uh, and they're decent, they will pick up the fact that, you know, Hardy needs a job. And most people are actually quite willing if they find, you know, come across opportunities, which they think are good. They'll, you know, as long as you're a nice person, they'll put you in touch. And I think, you know, people generally are uh, more giving than, than you realize, and you just never know who you're speaking to or, um, you know, how a post can uh, uh, bring, bring along something else. Now, we clearly didn't know each other and it was only because I saw your post and I thought, oh, that's a, you know, she's in a a difficult situation. She's been laid off, but she shows up. Um, And, you know, and then I I get you on my podcast. Um, You know, clearly um, I'm not, yeah, unfortunately I don't have a tech job for you. And I always think if you can help people when they're, in a in a like a difficult situation it, it's it's much more powerful than you know if I went along to I like Bill Gates and said Bill can I can I interview you I I can't do anything for him but hopefully somebody who's watching this or listening will you know um think how do yeah give her a chance <laughs> so yeah so hey, yeah
1: ben, I, I agree that you never know where a relationship or a connection can lead to and it you know I, i have like my, my small business so maybe i can get a, a speaking gig yeah. out of a conversation maybe i can get a job maybe i can just have a connection and i can help them i i'm helping a lot of people during this time believe it or not i have like a mentee that 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 i'm spending you know time and energy with i'm part of a, a several boards that i volunteer my time with and i'm still connect and, I, and i'm part of like other like professional organizations so I'm still trying to connect people to other people. And I do that a lot and I'm not doing it because I'm expecting anybody to like pay me back. I'm doing it because that's what we all should be doing for each other all the time. And if I think if we, if we did, then yeah, then we would be helping more people along the way, you know, to kind of get to the next place they need to go to. But, but I do a lot of that because even when I I, I think back all the way to when I was in college. I was like that. I was like, oh, you should meet some such and such. Oh, the, the, oh that reminds me of this other person. Like, I'm going to introduce you to them. And I still do that all the time. You know, that's just a role that I play quite organically. There's no uh, ulterior motive. I'm not looking to get anything else out of it except to introduce two people that I think might have stuff in common and might want to, like, collaborate.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really about, you know, just um, the process of putting people together. And and I saw that um, on a previous interview, you talked about how the importance of building your network, you need to be organically planting those seeds. And I think you were talking about how you've got a lot of chips that you're going to cash in. Um, And, you know, clearly, look, it's not done for any uh, transactional reason, but if you have helped people. Um, hopefully they will come back and try and help you out when you're in difficult times. I mean, what, what do you think, Hardy?
1: Yeah. And it's not even, it doesn't even have to be those people. It's more like the universe. Like I have been generous and kind and helpful when I can't, when I was able to, or when I'm able to, and hopefully there will be people in, in, you know, by the same token that have, you know, that they can help me in some way and maybe the universe will align so that they can give something to me. Some people, I hope and I'll never talk to them again. And that's okay. Uh, I'm Like I said, I'm not That's not the reason I do it. But I just find by and large, like if you're generous, and you're kind, and you're thoughtful, and you're, you know, generous, that hopefully the universe will reimburse you at some point and say, you know, you, you did a lot of nice things for people that needed your help. Here's a little bit of something uh, in return when you need it
0: and 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 it's funny because those people who help uh, who you help once and they don't sort of help uh, uh, you know, reciprocate it clearly they're playing a very short game they're not thinking about the long game because you know um you'll remember that that you know that that person probably was a bit transactional or was trying to like get something out of you whereas i think if you can think about the bigger picture and think look the, the, it's not a zero-sum game. We can all rise. We can all improve. I always feel if somebody's helped me, I will you know go do my best if I can to help them in some way going forward.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as I think about some of the people that I've helped, many of them are young people or more uh, people that are kind of in the earlier parts of their career, sure. and they're probably not able to help me right now. So it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I want them to pay it forward. I want them when they're in the position to help someone to help them you know when they can I I, uh, you know and I don't think they're being transactional I just feel like it's it's not their time yet they're not really at that place or level where they can help me per se in this case but I want you know I feel like if if we all paid it forward that that would be the great equalizer you know like at some point everyone gets gets help when they need it and everyone is able to offer help when they're in the position to do so
0: I mean, maybe they can help with social media or new trends or tech tips in that sense. So, hey. Um, but yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you is how's your business going, uh, boldly speaking?
1: Great. Uh, I haven't, in all like in the spirit of transparency, I haven't spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time like marketing or, or promoting it because I really am very focused on my job search right now. And it's for me, it's hard to do two things at the same time yeah. well. So like, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to like put this over here and I need to focus on the job search, but I, but you know, um, I have like, excuse me, I have a couple of events coming for Hispanic heritage month, which is, which is exciting. That's in September and October. I'm going to be speaking at two conferences coming up. And I feel like, um, just from like keeping me like close to, the topic of DEI and, and keeping me relevant and, you know, allowing me to connect with other people and to contribute to the DEI conversations. It's really been like priceless. So I'm, I'm very glad I launched it when I did, because it's been like kind of sustaining me uh, during this time. So like I can be part of some conversations yeah. and see what's going on at some companies and help ERGs, which are things, you know, that's stuff that I like and enjoy. I, I partner a lot with, um, Employees that are kind of at the earlier stages of their career, so I, I, that's that stuff that I, is important to me. So I like that I'm still able to do that, in some way, in some capacity, and then I'm really focused on what's next for me. So it's a balance.
0: And and for our listeners out there, if you're look, looking for a speaker, Hardy is your um your person. She's available. I think so. For any gigs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I can talk about a lot of things. I like talking to ERGs. That's mostly what I do, but I can talk to companies at large about inclusion and belonging. And I can talk about um, allyship and retaining underrepresented employees and why that's so important and investing in that talent. And, and I can talk about a lot of other things too. I've done a lot of work with customers. I feel like I can always talk about customer advocacy and, and, and that sort of thing, but yeah, I, I thank you for the the plug.
0: No, no, no problem. And and just in terms of um, the future, how can Hardy add value to um, uh, any company?
1: Yeah, so my roles that I'm looking for are either DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion type roles, or roles that are kind of centered around racial equity. And I would say about halfway through my job search, I kind of like expanded the the universe of organizations that I was talking to. So that that is, I think, What has brought me to where I am today, where I'm having lots of different conversations and the roles are really with some nonprofits and some internal DEI roles. And it's kind of much broader and interesting. I think pretty I'm very excited about um, the opportunities in front of me. I think what makes me stand out is that I have over 25 years of experience in tech and financial services, but I also have five solid years in nonprofit. And I think that combination is pretty rare. I'm also versatile. I I mentioned that I have worked with customers. So I'm a natural problem solver. So on the one hand, it allows me to partner with customers and come up with solutions to their business problems. And on the other hand, it allows me to act in like a senior role as it relates to programs and program development and, and like measuring impact. And so I feel like I can do those two things pretty well. And those are two very different things, but like I can step into either type of role and be successful and effective. And then I, I, the last thing I would say, and I know people like talking about emotional intelligence, so I'll I'll kind of plug myself here too. And I think even when I network, I like talking to a person, not like a group of people. And I don't really like being like, oh, what do you do? And like, I, I'm like, can we go to a corner and just like really talk to each other? Like, I want to like really get to know you and figure out how we can like support each other's efforts. So I'm, I, I'm all about building trusted relationships that can endure over many years. And that's very helpful to me that has been served me well in a lot of roles that I've had. And I'm also good at like recognizing the contributions of other people and bringing people together for a common goal. Like I like collaborating. I like doing things together. I think we go further together. And I I don't, you know, I don't like being the one that, you know, like the outlier. I, I mean, who, who does like, I want, I want to do the thing that everybody wants to do, but like I really like when we all wanted, we all are moving towards in the same direction. And unfortunately, I have to tell you in DEI that that doesn't happen as much as I hope that it would. Like there's a lot of times where like, you know, we're pushing people, kicking and screaming, and it's like, well, this is the right thing. And we'll we'll be glad we did this when it's over. But like, I I would love, being in the position where I have more co-conspirators that are like really looking to partner and do the work together.
0: No, I I love that. And I think, yeah, that's a great summary of the roles and the talents that uh, Hardy has and can bring to any organization. One thing that struck me, um, have you ever come across this psychologist called Robert Cialdini? He wrote this book called Influence? No,
1: but I'm writing it down.
0: Yeah, yeah, you should definitely, if you haven't come across him, you should definitely get that book Um, and there are lots of YouTube videos about him so he talks about the six principles of influence. I can't remember all of them at once but it's things like liking, consistency, social proof and there there are three others but so he's the godfather of of influence and how you can influence people not in a a Machiavellian way but in a nice way where you're both going towards a similar goal.
1: I want to ask you a question. So you said he's the godfather. Did he come before or after Dale Carnegie? Because Dale Carnegie wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I took a Dale Carnegie class, so I'm
0: with with that program. Yeah, of course, yeah. Shiaudini is after that. um, I'm not sure how old he is. Maybe he's in his 70s. But the interesting thing is that I think um, Warren Buffett and um, his partner, well, Charlie Munger, loves this book, Influence. And I think there's a story that they actually gave him one share in Berkshire Hathaway as a thank you for, so I mean, clearly they love him and that share probably would have been wow. worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But sorry, that I've sort of gone around in circles slightly, but one thing he was saying, if you go for an interview, one really helpful thing to do, influence people in a positive manner is to say, "Yeah, you know, why did you invite me for the interview? What made me stand out from the other candidates? And then what he was saying is that they will look at um, your CV, and then they will almost to influence everybody else on the panel. Or even yeah, they're, they're, they'll sell themselves. themselves. Yeah, so you're you're actually using them to sell you back to. It's 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 really interesting concept. Um, so it was just something that struck me when we were talking about interviews and things like that. But um, yeah, I would definitely check out his book. Uh, um, so say if you meet somebody for the first time what you're trying to do is um find things in common about that person so he talks about commonalities so you you sometimes say like um yeah you know, what city are you from do you go to uh, what school did you go to what sports do you like and then when you find a common bond then you can build like trust and relationship over that and then it moves on to you know, other more uh, substantial consequential things um, so I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there if you hadn't come across it, because I think it's a really interesting idea that I think in life, people are always, you know, trying to, um, you know, build relationships. And I I don't think you can fool people into, you can't fool somebody into liking you. But I think there is a way of saying, okay, we, um you know, we, we like a, you know, a similar book or a similar uh, food or, or whatever it is. But I think we have more in common than we realize. But most people don't. Um, make the effort to actually build those relationships and actually find out what is similar to somebody else. And and one funny story I'll just quickly tell you is that once I was at this event and I met this person and he started talking. I thought, oh my god, I'm probably I'm not going to like him. And then afterwards, I found out that he knew somebody that I knew, and that made me completely change my um you know, view of him. He he can't be a bad guy. And then later on, can't I found be that out bad. And he's actually. Yeah. And he's actually a good, good person. But, you know, sometimes you meet somebody at the wrong time where they say something a bit stupid. So, yeah. And, and, and it's funny, cause I think we all have these unconscious biases within ourselves and maybe we're projecting stuff from ourselves onto other people. So you have to be very careful when you're meeting new people.
1: A thousand percent. I had a situation, something like that just happened to me recently. I was at like a cocktail reception and I met someone and I'm like, mm, I already put that person in a box and then yeah. they said something, and I was like, "What? What did you say? I'm like, "Okay, I'm, let's keep talking." Like that was it. very interesting what you just said, and very unexpected. And so I was like, "Okay, Hadi, yeah. you know, like reminder: do not be- yeah. put people in boxes." Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, yeah, or they they like a particular book, or oh, you like hip hop as well. Oh, <laughs> you can't be yep. that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So um, the the fi- final thing, Hari, how can people get in touch with you? Obviously, you're on, on LinkedIn. Are there any other uh, social media channels that they can um, get, uh, reach out to you?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best from a professional perspective. Sure. I'm also I also happen to be an amateur street art photographer. Yeah, cool. So I'm, on, I'm on Instagram under Hari on the Web, but that cool. is like mostly just street art photos from like cool. mostly New York, but other places that I visit. And then I'm on Threads now, but I, I, I'm still kind of uh, finding my voice on Threads. So maybe don't look for me on Threads yet.
0: <laughs> cool. And and with your photography, so it's 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 taking photos around New York and um, other places you go to.
1: Yeah. So wherever I go in the world, and you know, sometimes I'm traveling more than others, but lately not so much. But I usually go on a street art tour wherever Mm -hmm. I go. Like last year I was in Italy and in Portugal and I got, you know, I went on street art tours both in both places and then just discovered a lot of really cool art in both cities in Florence and in Lisbon and in Porto. So like I shared a lot of photos from there. And, you know, if I go out West, if I go to like the, um, you know, California, the mission area has some good street art. If I, you know, any place that I find myself, I'll uh, make sure that I'm, that I'm getting photos, I really enjoy it. And it's like something that I started when I was broke and taking street, art photos is free yeah, and very accessible. Everybody can do it. And I find it just to be like a nice thing that it you can do it at any time. I have discovered there's a lot of talented people. There's a lot of people that have like used the platform to, you know, as a, as a way to like talk about inequities or other like, political views and like that's very interesting to me so there's a lot of like DEI in street art or more more than you think I I think more than people realize
0: yeah I suppose there are these subliminal things coming through that you probably don't realize but yeah the message is coming through oh fantastic
1: yeah and I actually um dabbled I had like a, a street art persona And I was doing a little bit of street art for a while. And it was centered around women of color. It was, you know, I did it uh, by design. It was for women of color. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And you never know who's going to see it or how it might resonate with them. I I remember I had like some stickers that I was putting up and I didn't go to Puerto Rico. I wasn't in Puerto Rico at the time, but my, my niece was, and she had some stickers. So she put it up and then like a third person. Shared a, pic- shared a picture of herself with the sticker and was like, look what I found. And that was cool to just have yeah. like a perfect stranger, like identify with the sticker and like, you know, share it on Instagram. And yeah, it was just, it was really
0: nice. So Haley, um, I really um, thank you for uh, your time this morning. Thank you for joining us from Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Uh, good you for to see having Brooklyn me. in the house.
1: I appreciate <laughs> um, the invitation.
0: Uh, my my pleasure. And um, one final thing. Is there anybody you would like to give a quick shout out to who's helped you in your career or your life?
1: Oh my goodness. Just one person. <laughs> Just the one person. Or two. <laughs> Gosh, I'm not really sure. That's such a that's a hard question, but I would say um
0: Well, your mom since, helping you on the tech journey.
1: <laughs> since, yeah. Well, shout out to my mom. She's she's not she's not alive anymore. Oh, sorry. Um, but,
0: uh,
1: that's okay. But yeah, shout out to my mom for raising me in an environment where I could have a, a voice and be confident, and ultimately be able to not only advocate for myself but for other people. So thank you, mommy, for that and for that. I don't know. She she raised four daughters, and we you know she she was a feisty Latina, and uh, she we all are quite a feisty bunch. So thanks, mom, for that. And I think the other person I would shout out is probably my sister. She's also uh, deceased. She's not alive. But my sister was just like a really good role model for me growing up. She actually was an engineer. Uh, she's older. Th- she was older than me. And she was an engineer. And she was the one that she also kind of encouraged me. So she was like, since you're going to do tech, maybe you could be an engineer or like you pursue like electrical engineering or something. I did not do that. But like I did the comp sci stuff. She was a good role model. I liked how she was very diplomatic in the, you know, kind of how she handled yeah. herself. And I always aspire to be more like her in like getting along with people and bringing people together. Yeah. She's someone that I consider to have been very level-headed and I always aspire to be more like her. I'm, I'm, sometimes I could be a little bit emotional and like I admire the, like the level-headedness of yeah. people who can just kind of keep things even keeled. And so I aspire to be more like her every day.
0: That's so fantastic. mom, yeah. No, no, that, that that that's that's great, Hadi. Um, and once again, thank you so much. Um, uh, wishing you all the best with your uh, job search. Uh, good wishes from London.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show and for giving me the platform to share a little bit of my story.
0: Bye, bye, Hadi. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast which is available on your favorite providers, and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening, wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.